Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Okay, guys, we're going to jump back into this series. We're on week three of this series, The Art of Doing Good. And just so you know where we've been, so you'll know uh, why we're going where we're going, uh, in week one, we talked about the concepts uh, of drive in each and every one of our lives. Um, we talked about the fact that each person has an aggressive drive. We talked about the fact that each person has a pleasure drive. And we, uh, I introduced the concept or the idea of what is referred to uh, as a generative drive, and that really is um, a drive that wants to see good in the world that goes beyond ourselves, right? It's, it's not just that I enjoy pleasure or I uh, am wanting to be proactive in my life, but it goes beyond that to say, I want to generate good in the world. And in that week, what I shared was uh, that the scripture is clear, we are called to bring about good into the world. That's what God has made us to do, and we're going to elaborate on that today a little bit more. But we are, we are reflecting the image of God in the generation of good inside of our world. Now, we all have these drives, and they are all leading us towards a, um, a destination, if you will, of peace and contentment and joy. Right, and so if our drives are in the right order, if they're in the right, they're functioning well, we will do good in the world, and we will be content, and we will have joy in this world. Week two, we talked about why our drives may or may not be functioning well, and so in last week's message, I talked to you about what happens, uh, what happens when your drive is too high. Say your aggressive drive is too high. It leads towards envy or narcissism, right? It leads towards negative things. And then I talked about what happens when the drive is too low, this, uh, this concept of demoralization or even depression, right? If we're not functioning well, um, we, we, tend to, um, we tend to retreat into ourselves in an unhealthy way. It, there are times when you can retreat into yourself in a very healthy way. So we talked about these, uh, these uh, concepts, these drives, and then we talked about what it looks like for them to be too high and what it looks like for them to be too low. This week, though, what we're going to be dealing with is, uh, the, uh, is the foundation behind all of this. These are what uh, psychologists will call the pillars of this kind of structure here. And so we're going to talk about two things, structure of self and function of self. And I alluded to this in a, in a message not too long ago, but I want, to, I want to spend some more time elaborating on this. And I want, to, I want you to see it from uh, a biblical worldview, because I think that that is the most important way for us to look at it as Christians. So we have structure of self and we have function of self. And these two ideas, again, serve as the pillar for the drives that we're operating in. Therefore, when they are understood and when these structure of self and function of self are operating in a healthy fashion, then our drives will operate in a healthy fashion. When they are unhealthy, guess what happens? Your drive is unhealthy, and everything that happens around you begins to be affected in, um, I would argue, in a negative way. Uh, maybe you might want to say something a little bit uh, more acceptable, which would be something like, uh, it, it's not always the most helpful, right? Okay, so, so the idea is we want a healthy drive, and then, or we want healthy self, and then that's going to lead to a healthy drive. So the first one that we're going to deal with, and if you are a note taker, you want to write this down, we're going to deal with structure of self. And I'm going to give you a, a psychology definition behind this. 
But then we're just going to kind of make it simple. And we're going to look at it for what it really is, okay? So in the, the world of psychology, the structure of self or the self's structure, depends on who you follow to, to find out how they want to title it, is a collection of beliefs about oneself. That's what the structure of self is. But that, in many ways, is terribly unhelpful, right? A collection of beliefs about oneself. What do you mean, belief about me? What, what do I need to believe about me? Well, we'll, we'll elaborate and make it make sense. Um, this can cover elements such as character structure, our defense mechanisms that we have. It can talk, we can talk about conscious and unconscious minds, and we can talk about just the, the overall philosophical idea of self. But let's just, let's just be humans and not some sort of dictionary here for a while, and let's realize that structure of self really comes down to things like, what's your personality? that simple. What's your personality? It comes to things like, what is your character? And what makes your character? How many of you want to have a good character? Why do you want a good character? Why? Well, in an interesting way, you have seen good character modeled, and you like that, and so you say, well, I want, I want the structure of me to be filled with good character or to exhibit good character, but you still want that. And this is really what we're talking about when we get to the structure of the individual. Who is Nathan? It's his personality. It's his character. It's a lot of things. Personality is an interesting uh, spectrum, if you will, because uh, personality is observable as early as you come into the world, right? My children develop personality quickly, okay? Their personality gets stronger and sometimes more annoying as they grow up, right? But their, their personality is very evident. You could have a, you could have a child exhibiting their, uh, their personality in the things that they like or the things that they dislike, as a child, it can be as simple as, I like the color orange, right? But then as you mature, your personality develops in all manner of ways. And so the things that you like and dislike change over time. And, and they get more advanced as you enter into adulthood. And then they change even more as you enter into the end of life. And those things, because maybe you have enough wisdom, you look back and you go, ah, I actually like certain things that I that I never liked before because those things didn't matter before. And now they matter to me greatly, whatever it is. This is kind of the structure of you, your personality. What's really important about you, what's really important about the personality that you have is that all of it is necessary in the generating of good in God's world. There is not a person in this room whose personality needs to, um, needs to change at its core. Your personality may need to be mature. You may need to refine certain things, but God actually has made you the way you are. And that's a good thing, right? It's a very good thing. And it's going to make more sense when we start unpacking what the Imago Dei or the image of God actually is. So personality, again, is one of those spectrums, and it changes over time. Character is another thing. But character is is very interesting because character can be your nature, but it can also be nurtured in you. How many of you know this? You, you, you do have certain pieces of character. Maybe you're my, my youngest, Becca. Right, Becca, is her character is that she is a strong-willed individual. She came out the shoot that way, right? 
I really think she came out and she was like, I want to go back for a couple of hours. I'll tell you when I'm ready, right? Like, that's Becca, okay? She just is this person. She's got this furrowed brow and this determined look on her face. She gets it clearly from Sarah. But, but the idea is she's got this determined part of herself, and we knew it from day one. Okay, But there are aspects of her character that are being shaped over time. So you have nature, and then you have nurture, the things that we instill into our children or the things that have been instilled into us. Our character is shaped by our worldview. Our character is shaped by our family. I love the fact that most of you, it's interesting, getting to know most of you means that I know a little bit of something about the people who brought you into this world. And I might not have ever met them. It's really fascinating. Because you were nurtured in a way, right? So worldview affects this. Your family affects this. Religion. Religion affects your character greatly. Education affects your character greatly. These are all ways that things are built into you, okay? These things seem to inform uh, the function of self, which we're going to get to. But they seem to inform that in how we deal with conflict, in how we express our morals inside of the world or what we deem to be moral or ethical. Um, if you think about that, and this is where it gets really, uh, really interesting, um, we have to have better conversations about our character and about what we see as moral or ethical. We need to have better conversations surrounding this uh, because I think a lot of people live in a... In a, in a place of bondage in their Christian life, not expressing the fullness of their personality because in some ways we've been told that the image of God has no room for the kind of character that we exhibit or the kind of view that we have. Now, listen, I'm not talking about things like murder. It's clear We've got a problem there, okay? But where it becomes challenging is when you get into the fine details of things, right? When you start to look at, um, when you start to look at ideas of thought patterns and, again, uh, uh, ethics or morals within a particular culture. Take this for example. Uh, how many of you believe that it's wrong to cheat on your taxes? Right? That's awesome. How many of you at the same time believe we shouldn't even be taxed as much as we're taxed? I would hope that most of you would raise your hands, right? It seems absurd. So we're like looking at this going, where did we come up with the idea that we should be taxed the way we're taxed? So how do we know whether we should pay those or shouldn't pay those? Are we just obeying the law? Is this morally good or is this ethically good? Is it, is, does it even matter to God? Have you ever asked that question? Have you, have you ever run a stop sign? And thought, why was that stupid stop sign there? It's unnecessary. There was no one around. I don't need to stop at it. I do this every day. <laughs> but I do, I do look at a lot of things in traffic and go, that's useless. Right? It's just weird how we do this. But the question is, am I being immoral? Am I... Am I not being virtuous or ethical or something like this? These are really interesting questions. But this all actually seems to communicate and form the function or the, uh, the, uh, the, the structure of Nathan, right? Are, how many of you know somebody that's naturally rebellious? Naturally rebellious. Raise your hand, please. What? 
You, yeah, right on, right on. I know someone. I see him in the mirror every day. Okay, so you see somebody that's naturally rebellious. I mean, Marcus is an example. That's why he never comes into service, right? He's always out there. He's naturally rebellious. He's looking at me just so everybody knows. But anyway, so you've got, you've got naturally rebellious things. The question is, is it true rebellion? Or are you dealing with the character of a person that's just very strong in what they know and what they want? These questions need to be asked. Because if you start to put too much on, let's say, a child at a very young age, they automatically grow up thinking that they're just constantly wrong for being who they are. But guys, this is the structure of a person's self. And please hear me, I'm not talking about these black and white clear things. Your children are not to grow up to be murderers. We all get it. But when we start talking about strength of personality, when we start to talk about these kinds of things, it changes, uh, maybe, or it should change, how we understand self. So we've got personality that's developed, we've got character, character is shaped by things, both nurture and nature, it informs how we deal with conflict, it informs what we do with our morals and our ethics, whether it's right to cheat on taxes or whether that's even a thing right? It, it informs uh, ideas about uh, whether, how we tell the truth. How many of you have ever wrestled with this? Um, you've, you've wrestled with, should I tell the absolute full truth in this situation knowing that it is going to absolutely crush the individual I'm about to tell? How many, have you ever wrestled with that? No? That's awesome. It shows different personalities. Some people are like, never wrestle with it. I just tell them like it is, right? Or some people are like, I never wrestle with it. I lie all the time. No, <laughs> right? Uh, right? Or, or you're like me and you, and you look at this and go, I would love for everything in life to be black and white, but some things aren't. And then I have to fight against my nature with that, right? I'm always wrestling with this, okay? Uh, your your fun or structure of self often informs how you view uh, discipline or justice, Right? The person that you are informs what you think about these kinds of things. I'm a person that believes that uh, discipline is necessary for raising children, okay? I believe that it's necessary for raising children. But I'm also a person that doesn't believe discipline always means swat your children. I'm also a person that doesn't believe discipline never means swat your children, right? We, there's, it's funny, you can be nuanced in all of this kind of thing, right? Uh, my daughter Kate, I can, I don't know, you can hang her up by her toenails. Sometimes she's going to listen, sometimes she's not. With Sam, I can look at Sam and I can say, I'm very disappointed in you. And Sam is broken and Sam changes her behavior. I don't have to crack the whip, as we say, Right? It's interesting, but this all becomes a part of who you are. When you get married and you have different views of this because the structure of yourself has been informed differently, it creates a lot of tension, doesn't it? How many of you have had arguments in your marriage about how you should discipline your kids? Yeah? Yeah? How many of you have had arguments about uh, any kind of moral dilemma with your spouse? You ever had that? Yeah. Why? Why? Well, it's, here's the simple answer. You're clearly moral and they're not. No, that's not the clear answer, right? The clear answer is it's never that clear, right? There's so many challenges to this, okay? But guess what? This is actually part of the structure of who you are, okay? 
Sometimes we have to think about this when it comes to pleasure or aggressive drives. Uh, one of the things that Steph and I talk about quite often, uh, or at least often in this, in this uh, series, is this uh, concept of uh, doing no harm uh, or not hurting anyone. Like we have this dilemma that we have. Do you, uh, are you a person that believes that you should never hurt anyone? Or are you a person that believes you should just cause no harm? Take one of your kids out for, for ice cream and you choose one kid to the exclusion of all the other ones. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to hurt the other kids, at least their emotions and their feelings. But have you harmed them? No, you've not harmed them. There's a difference in these things, right? There's a massive difference in hurting and harming. How do you do this in life? How do you do this with truth-telling? How do you do this with the rules that you follow or the rules that you don't follow? Are you hurting people? Are you harming people? This is all part of this. It's very interesting, right? Uh, conscious and unconscious pieces come into who we are uh, in the structure of ourself. Again, back to nurture and nature. Nurture comes from uh, many, many sources. I think about the, the fact that I have been nurtured uh, over time in, in these key areas, right? Of course, I had my parents. Of course, I was nurtured through the influence of friends and, and, and companions at a young age. I was, I was nurtured some more through uh, education. I was, uh, I was nurtured even more through more education and I'm nurtured even more through more education because I can't stop with the education issue, right? But it's like you, you keep being shifted and changed and shaped and all of these things, right? But they become part of the structure of who you are. How many of you would say you think very differently than you did when you were 20 years old? Now, some of you aren't even 20 yet, but anyway, so okay, that's fine, right? You think very different. Why? Why? And I'm talking about thinking differently at a fundamental core level. How many of you have ever recognized something you think differently about and you're like, I actually don't know why I ever thought any other way this is who I am. How many of you have said that? This way of thinking, that's who I am. That's the structure of yourself. And sometimes that becomes informed much later in your life. Okay, so all these things are really nice, and they've got to remain healthy, but the question is, how do they remain healthy? Because what I've just shared so far sounds like just a bunch of subjective nonsense, like I'm just me, and you're just you, and we just got to wing it. Well, the truth is that we are made in the image of God, and that becomes the objective filter through which we must put everything else, okay? So, your views of, of uh, personality, your views of your character, your views of how to deal with conflict, your views of morality and ethics, your views of truth-telling or, or uh, protecting an individual hurt and harm, your views of discipline and justice, all of these are uh, put, in a, uh, put through a demand of coming into, uh, coming into line with the image of God. As Christians, that's what you must do. Now, 
what does that actually mean is where we get into these challenges. But that's who we are. We are image bearers. This is why Genesis 1.27 seems to present the perfect scripture for what we are talking about when we say, or the foundation for what we're talking about when we say structure of self. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now let's just stop with the male and female part when we think of structure of self. How vastly different are men and women? Not per this culture today. Who cares what they think? How vastly different are men from women? Right? Vastly different. Does that mean that men are more reflective of God and women less? No. Does that mean women are more reflective of God and men less? No. We don't actually have a problem with, with the difference in genders in how we reflect God. But we do have a deep problem when it comes to, well, your personality doesn't seem to line up with Jesus very well. We seem to have a deep problem when we say, ah, I'm not sure Jesus or God would be as sarcastic as you are. So I'm thinking you need to change. We do this in so many ways when we look at people and we go, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. And sadly, I think many of us in this building look in the mirror and we go, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. Can I get an amen on that one? I'm not enough. I'll never line up to what Jesus wants me to be. I'll never be these things. I can't do it. And God goes, actually, I made you in my image. I made you in my image. That means he made you as an extrovert or an introvert in his image. Did you know that? He made you, Bill, with your weird sense of humor in his image. And I love it. I love it, right? That's just the way it is, okay? He has made you to think strongly about ideas or strongly uh, in, maybe you're just a strong thinker, right? That's what I'm trying to get at. If you're a strong thinker, maybe he made you that way. He wired you this way. You don't have to change that. This is what we mean by structure of self. And we have to put this in the filter of image of God, but do it in the right way. We are shaped, every one of us, by a Christian worldview. And yet this, from a 30,000 foot view, simply needs to be understood as the image of God. If we go down to ground level, it's going to get all kinds of mus messy and muddy. But it's necessary, it's just, it's going to get distorted because of everybody's opinions. There are differences in belief, drastic differences in belief, uh, inside of this building from chair to chair. Look at the person next to you. I guarantee you they think vastly different than you about something. And this is not to mention the crazy differences between a Catholic and a Protestant or others in interdenominational issues and things like this, right? We have these vastly different ideas, okay? But we are made in the image of God. So now what we have to then do, if we're going to talk about the structure of self, it includes your personality and all these things, but it comes through the filter of the image of God, we need to decide what, in fact, is the image of God. If men and women both reflect God well, it can't be some very obvious things. It can't be appearance, can it? It shouldn't ever have been concluded that, was a, that it was appearance ever, right? God doesn't have a body. Did you know that? <laughs> right? God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. Now somebody might protest and they say, no, Jesus came to earth and it says Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. What does that mean? The exact representation of the Father. I hope to shed some light on it. 
But the one thing that you're not is the physical image of God. So it can't be that. One thing you're also not is every characteristic of God. So let's just say it's true that God is omniscient, omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's all these things. Show of hands, how many of you are all those things? How many of you think you are sometimes? Yeah, this is a different story, right? Mark. <laughs> anyway, right? So it, but, you're, but you're not. So it's not even characteristics that seem to uh, define what it means to be the image of God. When you look at the image of God in a more detailed way, what it seems to be is that out of all creation, men and women were uniquely created as generators of good in the world. To rule and to reign, to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the world. That's what we've been called to do. So as far as image of God goes, and as far as your personality plays in and character plays in, and, and your conscious and unconscious mind, and how you view justice and discipline, all those filtered through the image of God, and that means how you bring good into the world, how you operate in the world. When I talk about generative drive, what I hope you're going to see is that generative drive seems to be the drive that looks the most like our Father. It's the drive that compels you to be good into the world. The drive that compels you to change and transform the world around you. It's the drive that calls you to the very thing that you were called to, or we were all called to, in the garden. To subdue this world, to rule and to reign as priests and kings. Amen? This is what we are called to do. So we need to understand this in its right way because understanding it incorrectly is going to lead to a really distorted function of self. So let's move to that, function of self. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this, and this is going to fit for this in a very important way, and then I'll tie all of this chaos together in just a second. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. This is my favorite passage with regard to what the function of self truly is. Function of self, according to psychologists, is comprised of two separate functions, an executive function and an organizational function. All sounds like gobbledygook. Let's just play simple terms what it is. The structure of self in action is what the function of self is. Your personality in action, that's the function of you. Your character in action, that's the function of you. If those are unhealthy, what are your functions? Unhealthy. If the structure of you is unhealthy, the function of you is unhealthy. The Bible tells us this plainly. It talks about things like out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the who you are, you act and you do in the world. You speak negative things or bad things, hurtful things, whatever. You can also speak good things and helpful things and encouraging things. You can do that. That comes from a healthy structure so that the function can be healthy, right? But when we talk about the image of God and we, and we distort that view and we make it to be some sort of, I don't know, caricature of what we're supposed to all be like or maybe some sort of... Uh, some sort of uh, um, I don't know, image of Jesus that we all think we should look exactly like, we all are striving towards something that doesn't take into consideration the true structure of who you are. It doesn't take into consideration your personality. What we, what we end up believing is that the structure of your personality is bad and you need to change it all. 
How many of you felt this way? I'm just wrong. I'm just bad. I'm just damaged goods. I can't ever do anything good in this world. We feel this way because we actually don't think the structure of who we are is welcomed or acceptable. But that's not true. That's actually who you were and who you were made to be. And how that plays out is super, super important. So let let me give you something funny to think about. If the church was full of just Nathans, would that be a healthy church? Mark was too quick on that one, right? Uh Uh-uh, right? It would be extremely unhealthy if it was just Nathan. But listen to me. Me being me is absolutely healthy. You know where we get into conflict? When people go, yeah, that's the problem. I just don't like you. Isn't that funny? What the problem is, is I just want you to change. How many of you have been in a marriage where you're like, I just want him to change. I just need her to change. In what way? Are they just being a jerk? Okay, they need to change. Right? Is it fundamentally who they are? The question is, why the heck did you marry them then? Right? We do this outside of marriage too. We do this in the church all the time. I went to a church. I saw how everything works. I don't like the pastor. I left. Okay. Maybe you don't like the pastor because he's him and you're not. I don't know. But be careful with it because we do this to people all the time. For a healthy church to exist, for a healthy community of believers to exist, we don't need to act like one particular character. We need to be ourselves together for the good of God's kingdom. Amen? So, this is cliche, but the church needs you and you need me. But that's just true. That's just true. In a marriage, if you want it to be healthy, you have counterbalances here. You have people to help you. Adam needed someone to help him. He didn't need another him. He needed Eve for whatever it is that she was and however she was and whoever she was. That's what he needed. In marriages, we get into a lot of conflict because we go, I don't need you. I need you to be somebody else. And that person's like, I can't be somebody else. I'm just me. Either you can see me for who I am and you can utilize who I am for that good or you can't. How many of you have struggled in marriage because of those things? Because of identity, because of who the other person should or shouldn't be? That's hard. But the truth is you, the structure of you was made a certain way and the structure of you is amazing in God's eyes It may need to be disciplined and shaped and changed over time to reflect the image of God, but not to alter you completely, okay? I think what we do in, when I say caricature, when I say something like a, um, an archetype of something. We have these views of, of the consummate Christian, the perfect Christian, and we say everybody should be like that guy, right? So what do we do? We, we've got ideas of Jesus. What does Jesus look like to you? Just audience participation. What does he look like to you? Or to culture, what does Jesus look like? Say it. What? Love, okay? It's generic, right? Because the world doesn't even know what love is anymore. But that's good. What? He's perfect, okay? Who's measuring up? <laughs> okay, great. I've failed at being like Jesus now. Okay, what else? 
It doesn't matter. Just name one from any culture. It's great. Like, what picture do they give? Strong leader. Do you guys see the same image across cultures of strong leader? No, actually. I see in some cultures passive uh, caregiver, servant, right? Weak. Is that crazy? Who of you in your right mind would say, what I think of when I think of Jesus is weak? Nobody. But some people do because of this character that we painted. I joke about it and I say, hippie Jesus, right? Because we've got this English guy who's white, who has long hair, like he looks like the guy from the Gaither vocal band or something, right? And he's walking around and he's just telling everybody how much he loves them. And it's like, peace, love, Jackson 5, everything's going to be good, right? That's the picture that we have of Jesus. And so we all try to measure up to that. Do you know how good I'm going to be at being that guy? This is not a joke. Do you know how good I'm going to be at peace, love, Jackson 5 to people? (laughs) Not good, right? So we make this caricature, and then we want everybody to fit in. But what this doesn't actually take into account is true structures of self that are all individual and all unique and all awesome. It also doesn't have, again, the right understanding of the Imago Dei, because if it did, it would understand that I can reflect the glory of God just as who I am. Nathan Frankhauser can reflect the image of God. And guess what? I'm not going to do it the same as Mark Williams. But that's okay, right? I want to give you a contrast. This is just a fun thing. How many of you know Mother Teresa? How many of you love this image of a Christian? It's like, everybody should be Mother Teresa, right? Listen to what she says. She says, peace begins with a smile. Oh, right? That's amazing. Peace begins with a smile. How many of you have ever smiled at your husband or wife, but peace didn't follow? Okay, moving on. Okay, right? Peace begins with a smile. Or listen to this one. Every time you smile at someone, it is an action of love, a gift to that person, a beautiful thing. That is amazing, quite honestly. I puke when I say it, but, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing, right? That same person who is an image bearer of God, who we all look at and say, absolutely amazing, is also in the kingdom with another guy who wrote most of the New Testament who's an amazing guy. Let me give you some of the Apostle Paul's quotes. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Just give them a smile, right? Or how about this one? Among these are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that he will, dis- uh, that he will discipline, and, uh, discipline in them and teach them not to blaspheme. I like Paul better, guys. Sorry. You guys can take Mother Teresa, but I'm not Mother Teresa, right? But guess what? And I need you to say this with me. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Most of our conflicts when it comes to people in the church, I am I'm making a giant, bold statement. You can disprove me if you'd like or try to challenge this. I'm, I'm fine with the argument. But most of the issues we have inside of the church is because we just want people to not be them. We want them to look like I want them to look. Bill, if you just do better. No, Bill's good. Bill's good. Right? Why is that what we do? Because we don't, one, have a right understanding of structure of self and that God has made us these ways. 
Number two, we don't have a right understanding of Imago Dei. We don't know what the image of God is. Three, we've created unlivable characters in our mind that we try to strive for, and then we all die on the vine trying to be something that we're not. I'm not Mother Teresa. Quite honestly, I'm not even the Apostle Paul. None of you are surprised at either of those, but it's important that I am who I am, and it's important that you are who you are, right? So when we talk about the function of self, what we're talking about is in the right framework of image of God, we're talking about behavior that lines up with the image of God. We're talking about defense mechanisms or, or, or ways of thinking that line up with the image of God, but also encompass every bit of the structure of the self God made us in. It means having a self-awareness. A self-awareness that is informed by what God says, which is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I was made in the image of God. I have been redeemed through Jesus, and life is different now. Amen? Like, this is a big deal. And so, uh, we also have to deal with our internal issues. What, what we make, as I told you a couple weeks ago, what we make salient, right? I told you guys, that the example I said was, was uh, nobody in this room is thinking about their big toe. Until now, because that made it salient to you. You weren't thinking about your big toe. What you think about, what is, what is foregrounded to you is what is salient. Well, you have internal salience, things you meditate on, things that you, uh, you give your heart to. If it's wickedness and brokenness, guess what comes out your mouth? Guess what comes out your life and your actions? Wickedness and brokenness, right? It also has external implications of what you make salient. People, career, hobbies. Some, there, there were entire phases of my life where the only thing that was salient to me was music. That was the only thing that mattered. And I, I didn't do well in those times because I just made it mean too much to me, right? And there are things that I make probably too salient to me now. It's not jujitsu, so, but there's probably things that, may, that are too salient to me now. But, but nonetheless, we make those, and those affect our behavior. They affect our actions in the world. All of this is informed by the structure of who we are, by nature and nurture. Worldview, faith, everything inform this. And so we have to understand that if we're going to live with functioning, well-functioning drives, aggressive drive, and pleasure drive, and generative drive, we have to start with what image are we made in? The image of God. We need to know what that means. Then we need to understand what that image functions like. How many of you know that as Christians, there are things that the world gets to do that we're just not allowed to do? How many of you know that? We're just not allowed to do it. Why? Because it's dishonoring to our Heavenly Father. Because it's not helpful to the world around us. Because why? It doesn't generate good. The world participates in gossip all the time. You know that? Like, hey, let's just make a, a, a corner in the newspaper. and it, That's an old thing that you used to read news in. Anyway, sorry, there's a, a corner in the newspaper that was a gossip section or things like this or a dear so-and-so. All this stuff airing out people's weirdness, right? And we do this all on social media now. It's everywhere. But Christians, you know what your responsibility is? Let it stop with you. The Bible says that gossip separates intimate friends. I know this personally. 
deeply, frustratingly, I know this, right? We're not to participate in the things the world gets to participate in. This is the structure of ourself and the function of ourself coming under the guidance of the image of God. This is us changing who we are. This is us looking at the world and seeing them have fun and whatever debauchery and chaos they get themselves into and realizing that we've been called to something different. And not being upset with it, not being frustrated, just recognizing we were made for something different. And we were made made to reflect a different image into the world. When the structure of who you are, and I want you to be thinking about this this week, when the structure of who you are, the personality of who you are, the character of who you are, the uniqueness of you, when it is run in a healthy fashion, through the filter of the image of God. And the functions that it produce are those that produce good in the world. Every other drive that you have will come into line. Your pleasure drive will be in line. Why? Why is this? Let's just think about pleasure for a second, right? I've asked this before. How many of you like pleasure? And don't lie to me. Just, yes, we all like it, right? You get pleasure from many things, right? We get pleasure from lots of things. It can, be, uh, it can be an activity that you could do. It could be food. It could be a drink. It could be all kinds of things. Like, there's tons of things that bring us pleasure. Pleasure is not bad. God made us to enjoy those things. Really cool, right? As I shared with you from Ecclesiastes, it's actually the gift of God that you would use these things and celebrate and be, the, be happy in many ways, right? So you've got, you've got pleasure, okay? <clears throat> if this is filtered through the image of God, and the structure of you is filtered through the image of God, and the function of you is done in a healthy manner, let's just say you're in a marriage, and your desire is to receive pleasure, but you know that the other person sees pleasure a different way. What ought you to do? Compromise. You ought to join with them in seeking their pleasure, as well as them seeking yours. But what is your first aim? Think them. Think about them. Care about them. Why? Because Jesus cared about you. That's what happened before anything. Listen to the, the aggressive or the proactive drive of the God of the universe. This is how proactive God is. Before the foundation of the world, God foreordained our redemption through Jesus Christ. He was so proactive before he made us, he knew it was going to be rough, and he made a way to be, for us to be redeemed. That's pretty proactive, right? What is he thinking of there? Not himself. He's thinking of us. That's pretty powerful. What should you be doing when it comes to pleasure? You should be thinking of other people. This is different than the rest of the world. The world says, I'm going to get mine. That can't be the Christian way of living just can't be. I'm going to get mine. It's not who you are. You think of another person. So what is this? This is the structure of who you are and all its uniqueness. Lived out in the function of who that person is through the banner of the image of God, right? Under the banner of the image of God. And all of this driving you towards generating the most good in the world. The most good in the world. I wish I had time today to go into a million examples and just, because I, I can do this with most of you, 
I can sit with you and I can look at you and I can tell you the person that you are that I know and show you how you are uniquely made and why that's a good thing. I can do this with most of you in this room. What you need to do this week is look in the mirror and see those things and accept that God has made you a certain way and that it is good and you need to use it for his kingdom and his glory. Amen? And when you start to function in that order, it's going to absolutely be amazing. I promise you. So next week, what we're going to talk about is what healthy structure and healthy function uh, require to arrive at peace. And I'll just give you a bit of a spoiler. We're going to talk about humility. We're going to talk about agency, making decisions for ourselves, making decisions, thinking about others. We're going to be dealing with, uh, I guess you would say, the motivations behind the choices that we make. And I can't stress humility enough because without it, you will not choose other people.